welcome again. Good morning, everybody. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. Excited to welcome everybody to another uh, Sunday service where we get to worship God through music and through scripture. Uh, my favorite part of the week is to be with all of you here every Sunday morning. Uh, and today is, is a crazy day because we are finishing our Proverbs series today. I know. Uh, I am excited to bring it to a close uh, because of what we've learned and just to reflect today. We're going to do some reflecting today on kind of what we have learned uh, over the last season of our church through Proverbs. Uh, and as we do that, last week we started our conclusion by talking about life, abundant life and what that means. And this week we are speaking about death and what that means uh, because Proverbs really is a book about the ends, where the decisions that we make today lead us tomorrow. And they lead us into, as we read last week, they lead us into life, or they lead us into death, into our lives. And when we talk about death, a lot of times, you may have thought this while we were looking at Proverbs, as we've talked about this, uh, that when we talked about death and this decision or this thing, if you do this, it will lead you to death, or if you if you act out on this, it would lead you to death. When you thought about that, or when you heard that, you may have thought that it was talking about the finality of death or your heart stopping, the literal understanding of death, which is when we get put in the grave. But really what Proverbs is talking about is the same thing life did not just mean eternal life, was really talking about abundant life here on earth. When Proverbs is talking about death, it is not just talking about the moment of finality of the physical death, but it's talking about the death that we live in our lives on the daily because of the decisions that we make. And I want to first kind of look at the Old Testament uh, outside of Proverbs and look at how death is described because what it's going to do is we explore death in Proverbs, we'll be able to have a better understanding of the context of the, uh, of the Hebrews and how they're talking about it and how they're looking at death, Because when we speak about death, uh, usually we are speaking about that one part of it, the finality, the heart stopping, the, the moment where we go to the funeral. But when scripture is speaking about death, it's actually speaking about something very different than what we may be thinking about when we use that word. And to start us off, we're going to go back to the very beginning, the first place that we see death used. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, it says this. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now here is where death is introduced in scripture. And we see at the introduction of death in scripture that this introduction is not actually talking about the heart stopping. This is not talking about the finality of death where it is one moment we are alive and the next minute we are dead. It is talking about disobedience to God starting us in a life of death. Disobedience to God, meaning our sinfulness, truly being the definition of death in Scripture. And so when we talk about death in Scripture, we go back to the very beginning of where death was introduced. It was the separation that Adam and Eve had spiritually from God, which now started the cycle of sin in their life and consequently in ours and what started their path into death, the moment that they disobeyed God. 
In Psalm 116, verse 3, it says this. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Death is also in the form of sickness, in the form of anguish in our life many times. In Old Testament, what death felt like was, again, not this physical thing, but death had the emotional feeling of anguish, had the emotional uh, feeling, the physical feelings of sickness. These were the things that came on us that were a form of death, the reason why we are experiencing anguish, the reason why we are experiencing sickness is because death has entered into the world through sin. And we experience death on a regular basis in our own life, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, when we experience these different emotions and things. And Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 and 20, I only want to read verse 15. God is telling the Israelites, he's laying out the ramifications of the law, and he says, if you do not follow the law, you will experience death. In verse 15, he says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. What he's saying is if you follow what I have called you to do, if you follow in the way of wisdom, if you follow in the way that I have called you to live, you will experience life, abundant life. But if you walk away from this, if instead you disobey like Adam and Eve did in chapter 2, what you will experience is the promise of death. Evil. This thing will be the thing that you follow and the thing that you experience. Death is not just the literal act of being alive one moment and no longer breathing the next. Death pervades our life through sin, destruction, sickness, and many other forms. You may have not been able to kind of Put the things that you've felt or the things in your life that you've experienced into words. But here's the word that scripture is giving. What you are experiencing, the things that cause the depression, the things that cause the anxiety, the things that cause sickness, the things that cause the anguish. These things that you are experiencing in scripture, the term for that, what you are experiencing is death. You are experiencing the reality of a world that has been disconnected from God. Death starts long before we ever enter into the grave. Death is among us right now. It's a part of the world that we live in. And so as we understand that, when we begin to look in Proverbs, we begin to have a fuller understanding of what it's talking about when it talks about death. See, the path to death in Proverbs is not listening to the wisdom that it offers. It's very similar to what we read in Deuteronomy, that God is saying, I'm laying out wisdom, I'm laying out the law, I'm laying out the good for you to walk in. And if you follow it, you'll experience life, but if you walk away from it, you will experience death. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 23, it says, He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. What's interesting here is being led astray is equated with dying. He dies for lack of discipline and because of his great folly he is led astray. When you read the Proverbs, usually what it does is it has 
two lines. The first line says something in the second line, and they are two parts of the same whole, meaning they each describe each other. And so we see that being led astray is being equated with walking in the way of death. Led astray from the wisdom, from the understanding of God is equated with now currently walking in the way of death. In Proverbs chapter 8, verse 36, it says, But he who fails to find me, or wisdom, injures himself. All who hate me love death. What this proverb is saying is if you turn away from godly wisdom, what you are doing is you are turning away from life. You are turning into death. I want you to listen to how folly here is personified. A lot lot of the things I love about Proverbs is it takes these different attributes that we've read about. It takes something like wisdom or the adulteress or here folly, and it personifies them as people. So look at how folly is personified here in in Proverbs chapter 9. It says, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. This is what she says. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So it's saying when folly calls out to us, when the foolishness of life calls to us and we think about doing something that we know is wrong, that is folly, and we hear the voice. You you know on the show where it has like the bad voice on one shoulder and the good voice on one, like the little devil version of you for, for all of my Instagram and Facebook friends. This is Kermit and evil Kermit talking to you, right? Evil Kermit is like, this is what you need to do. This is the, scream at that person, right? Blow up, curse that person out. Go sit down and, and, and do what you are not supposed to do. But what, what folly doesn't tell you is that when you listen to folly and you go her way, where are you going? The foolish person doesn't know that when they listen to folly, that they are going to the place where the dead are. That the guests of folly, which she is inviting you into, is the depths of Sheol, is the depths of hell, is the the depths of death. That you are actually making yourself, you are finding yourself in company with all the dead around you. That where you are walking into, where you are making your home, where you are making your seat, where you are making the place that you go and you rest, is being among the dead. That's why they say misery loves company. You don't want somebody that's fully alive around you when you are sitting amongst the dead. You get rid of that. You don't want that. Because it reminds you of the life that you don't have currently. And what folly will do, foolish decisions, foolish living, is it will look sweet. 
The bread eaten in secret is pleasant. The stolen water is sweet. This is good. This tastes good. This is honey. This is great. But when you enter in, when you make those decisions the foolish way, really, it's how Jesus described the Pharisees. It is whitewashed tombs. It is pretty on the outside. But when you walk into it, what you are doing is you are walking among the dead. So the question comes about then, how do you know if your life is already enshrouded by death? How do you know if your life is already enshrouded by death? See, what happens is we are so focused on the physical signs of death that we forget to check its spiritual and emotional signs in our life. And we think, well, you know what? You know, this is a common thing. I have not died yet, physically, and so I'm fine. Or when I, I think about death, you know, I can shape up tomorrow because I'm still breathing. But what you don't realize is you are living among the dead now. And so my hope is that we can begin to spot the symptoms of death creeping into our life. That when folly comes and speaks to us and says, hey, listen, come my way, come this way, that we'd be able to see that and say, actually, no. That is the way of death. That is the way of destruction. That is the way of Sheol. But what's interesting is this entire series, this is what we've been talking about. We've been talking about the path that leads to death. So as we recap and kind of look back, what is it? How do we see what we are doing that has led us these ways, that has led us into the paths of death? Well, the first way that we've said is walking away from wise choices. Proverbs 21.16 says this, One who wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. Choosing worldly wisdom over godly wisdom will lead us to death. You know, sometimes... Uh, Godly wisdom doesn't make sense. In the New Testament, Paul describes the gospel as foolish to the wise. And so when we look at worldly wisdom, when we look at conventional wisdom, sometimes what we consider wisdom in the world is actually not godly wisdom. And what we consider common sense and intuition will not lead us into the path of true wisdom, godly wisdom, and will actually lead us to death. And if you want to think about this, think about moments, if you've ever had a moment where you had to rely on God and have faith for something in your life that made no sense in physical reality of how this was going to happen. I'll give you a moment of this. A moment of this in my life where godly wisdom and conventional wisdom did not make sense was when we, Heather and I felt led to have our second child and we also felt led to plant a church. Conventional wisdom will tell you, you are an idiot if you plant a church and have a baby at the same time. Uh, because essentially, you know, people don't already know, but I already raised twins. Because you have two babies at the same time. Levi was born like a week before August started. Our church had its first service in October. Now, whenever I would tell other people that, hey, we're starting a church and my wife is pregnant, they would really look at me and say, actually, you should only do one of those things at a time. 
That was conventional wisdom. That was worldly wisdom. But yet every time in prayer, we felt God is leading us both, yes, to have a child and also leading us to plant a church. What we did not know is anybody that's had more than one child, they are so different. Right? Our first child did not sleep. He hates sleep. Still, to this day, does not like sleep. Sleep is a foreign enemy of his. He will fight it off at every chance that he gets. You know, we, we went through everything that you can imagine to get this guy to sleep. Um, and still, in the middle of the night sometimes, he likes to scream just to ward off sleep, you know, for everybody in the house, not just himself. <laughs> but then when Levi was born, two weeks into Levi uh, being born, he started sleeping six hours a night. And then he started doing full nights just a couple of months in. And we couldn't have planned that. Like, God knew what he was doing. And the only reason we knew what we were doing is because we were following where God was leading us to go. We had only had one understanding of what it's like to have a kid. And that understanding was our kid will wake up every hour for two and a half years at night. And we will be sleep deprived for the rest of our life. That was our understanding of having a kid. And so thinking, how in the world are we going to plant a church and have another kid? It just, it doesn't, conventional wisdom did not make sense yet. Godly wisdom was saying, listen and trust God. Fear the Lord before you do anything else. And what will happen is he will make your path straight. He will lead you in the right way. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. So choosing godly wisdom will lead you to life, but choosing worldly wisdom or intuition over godly wisdom will always lead you to death. We talked about the fool. The fool is the menace to those around them. The fool is the person who is quick to anger, never receives correction, does not accept any advice. When Proverbs describes the fool... It describes the fool in these ways so that you can understand that if you, if you live in this world of quick-tempered, of never receiving advice, that's, that's when somebody tells you, hey, like, I, I think you shouldn't do that anymore, and you become defensive. Well, you don't know me. You don't know about my life. Who are you? What are you to say about me? That is the fool. Right? How many times does somebody critiqued me, and I was just like, you know nothing. This is, this is our normal human response. Scripture says the fool leads you to the ways of death. When you are quick to anger, this will lead you to the ways of death. When you do not receive advice, this will be a leading to the way of death. We talked about the scoffer, the intelligent fool. This is the person that is too smart for their own good. The arrogant one, the one that is quick to argue, the one that blows situations up. Proverbs says they set a city aflame, meaning they take a little problem and then make it a big problem. Yo. Did you see how he just disrespected you? You're not going to say nothing to him? You're going to let him do that like that? Yo, the, the, one, the, the person I knew from the hood wouldn't allow anybody to get away with that. That's, I'm just saying, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not saying you should do nothing, but that is the scoffer. 
That is the one that, that adds fuel to the fire instead of being the peacemaker, becoming the gossiper, becoming the arguer, always having to get their own way, showing, dominating with their intelligence, dominating with their will, saying, no, I know what is best. I know what to do. Those ways, it may feel good to win for a little while, but let me tell you, if you win by destroying others, you yourself will feel like death. This is what Proverbs is saying, that you can live in the way of death now while you are still breathing. That if you do these things that may look good, that folly may say this, this is sweet, this may feel good for a moment, this may feel good for a time, but in reality... It is destroying you. In reality, it is leading you to the path of death. We talked about the drunkard or glutton. Choosing substance for rest, relaxation, and peace instead of God's presence. The person that does not have self-control, always allowing things that we consume to be the things that make us happy. Instead of allowing the one we invite to fill us to being the one that makes us joyful. This person allows these things that we consume to amplify the bad behavior. They're like, oh, I, I want to feel good about myself, so let me go get some extra drinks at the bar. But instead, that's only going to amplify my quick-temperedness. That's only going to amplify my, my hatred. That's only going to amplify my dissatisfaction with life, that's only going to amplify the things that may numb it for a few hours, but in the end, it will create a bigger hole, a bigger gap. It will lead me deeper into the path of death. We talked about the greedy, using money unjustly, looking for fast money, not necessarily legal money. I've, I've met people always looking for the fast track. I mean, this is, it's, it's hard. Somebody comes to you with some quick way to make money. The question isn't always, is this legal? It's when can I start? But Proverbs says fast money leads to destruction. If, if, if money is coming quickly, guess what? It is going quickly, and with it is your soul. When we choose money over character... We're choosing death over life. When we use money or want money so bad that we destroy the lives of other people, then we have somebody that is coming after us with vengeance. And that is the God of heaven and earth. We talked about lust and how we use porn, we use adultery, we, we use our desires, our imaginations to make us have those temporary feelings of high, but how they deeply lead us into a place of death in our life, to a place of suffering internally, of, of distortion of how God created sexuality for joy, how God created sexuality for a place to rejoice in him. Instead, we have created a system that has caused insecurity. We've created a system that has caused death around something that was meant for good. I 
What I think ultimately sums up all of these is this understanding that we talked about last week of never being satisfied. This symptom of never being satisfied. If you look at all of these, that is where they lead. Never being satisfied. In Proverbs chapter 27, 20, it says this. Sheol and Abdon are never satisfied and never satisfied are the eyes of man. Death is never satisfied. If you are restless, if you are always looking for the next thing, if you can never find contentedness in the silence of your life, if you are always running the new thing, the next thing, what, what can I do next? How can I keep myself busy? How can I run from this thing to that thing? That is a symptom that your heart is still dead. That you have not awakened to the satisfaction of Christ in your life and the all-encompassing peace and contentedness that comes with Jesus transforming your heart and your mind. I remember a few years ago I realized why I didn't like quiet time. Because every time I sat down to still my mind and to still my heart, I realized all the death that was spiraling inside of me. It was the moments, in those moments I had to come to grips with who I really was. But who I am, when nobody's looking, when nobody's around me, when I'm at home in my own thoughts, in my own time, nothing to distract me but only my own heart to look at. I realized that was painful to me because I saw death that I was always trying to cover up, trying to cover up with TV, trying to cover, cover up with, with, with doing things, with work, with, with whatever it was that we cover up that in our lives. But when we are never satisfied in life, that is the telltale sign that death has been living in our heart and is consuming us and is driving our decisions, is driving our will, is driving our desires. And so if you are Wondering if you are going to leave here depressed today. My prayer is the answer is no. Because there's something that scripture has to say about death. That I really like. In Romans chapter 5 verse 12. It says this. Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man. And death through sin. So death spread to all men. Because all sinned. Here's the first thing. You are not alone in your feeling of death. In your path of death. In the assembly of the dead. See, when we went back to the beginning in Genesis 2, because Adam sinned, all have sinned through his sin. And that sin brought death into the world. And so if you wonder, why is it that my natural inclination, why is it that my, my natural desire and my heart leans towards this? Why does it sometimes feel so hard to get away from the things that I know are destroying my life? Paul says, whenever I want to do good, I find it a law that evil lies close at hand. Why is it? And every time I begin to try to do something, 
that it just seems like I can't get away from these decisions. I can't get away from the sin, that my heart is enshrouded in this sin, and it will never go away. Well, the answer is here. It's because we were born in death, and we all live in sin, which causes the death to become our very nature, the very thing that we are, that we live in. But Romans 6, a little farther ahead, says this. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the truth. Jesus took all of that sin, he took on all of that death, and he literally brought it with him to the cross, past, present, and future. And the consequence of that sin was death, true, literal, all-consuming death. And that is why Jesus had to go to the cross. So that the perfect sacrifice could die for all the sins. But then what happened was after he died, after he took on death, after he took on sin on his shoulders and he was sacrificed on his behalf, what happened was what we celebrate on Easter is he raised from the dead, conquering sin and death, saying that, yes, you had your laugh. You had your moment, you bruised my heel. But that was not the end of the story. That was not where it ended. Death, you do not get the final say. Instead, when Jesus raises from the dead, he says, Now, once and for all, I have conquered death and sin. That everyone that was born in sin and walked with this body of death, as Paul calls it, now can be buried with Christ in his death, dying the death that he died in our baptism, and then raising to life with the resurrection that he lived. This is the beauty of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that we participate in his death, his burial, and resurrection by just having faith in Jesus, by just believing in what he has done. Scripture says that the gospel, the good news, is the power unto salvation. When we believe in what Jesus has done, the gospel comes, the good news comes into our heart, it comes into our mind, and it begins a transformational work the power of the Holy Spirit begins to regenerate us. And what happens is our life 
our flesh, the death, the sins, the things, the worldly desires, they get killed on the cross with Jesus. And a newness happens in our life where we raise with him and we begin to live an abundant life. What he did, what Jesus did, now becomes something we all have done with him. Just as one man sinned, Paul says, all have sinned. And just as one man lived perfect and broke sin, all have lived perfect through him and broke sin. And this is the end game of Proverbs. That all of us here on earth will experience physical death. All of us, death will literally come to all of us. All of us one day will stop breathing. We will die a physical death. But there are two outcomes with that death that we can have. There is, Proverbs describes two types of death. The wicked's death and the righteous person's death. The wicked dies in Proverbs verse chapter 11, verse 7. It says, when the wicked dies, his hope will perish. And the expectation of wealth perishes too. Everything that person hoped for, everything the wicked person desired, every hope that they had, every dream, every will, everything they wanted to become and everything they wanted to have, all of those things will die with them. Everything that they hoped for will be gone in the blink of an eye. They will have lost their hope. It is a sad, it is a depressing death. But Proverbs gives this other scenario for death, the righteous death. In Proverbs chapter 14, 32, it says, The wicked is overthrown through his evil doom, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. That word refuge there also can be translated as hope. When something, when you are running to something for shelter, what you are doing is you are running for refuge. You are running for the hope of covering from that. And so when the wicked die, their hope is cut off. Their hope is destroyed. But when the righteous die, new hope is everlasting. Their hope is not cut off. Their hope does not die with them. When the righteous die, it is not an ending. When the righteous die, it is a hope for a new beginning. See, bodily death no longer becomes something to fear with the righteous. In fact, it becomes something to celebrate and to praise. Because death has already been conquered, we do not fear what death brings, but instead we hope in it, knowing that with our death we have a hope to a new life, everlasting in the new earth and the new heavens with Jesus. Death now becomes a deeper hope for the Christian where a hope in Christ, a hope to be where there is no sickness, a hope to be where there is no tears, a hope to be where there is no death, whether that is physical, emotional, or spiritual. There is a hope to be an everlasting eternity with Jesus Christ and the Father. Amen. So death no longer becomes something that we worry about, but something that we hope in. That we find refuge in. So I want to begin this series where we 
I want to end this series where we began this series. And that's this, asking God for wisdom that leads to life. Asking God for wisdom that leads to Jesus and all the abundance he offers here and now. The abundance that he offers here and now. But that goes with you into eternity. An abundance that can never be stolen from you, an abundance that can never be snatched from you. People may be able to snatch your wealth, they may be able to snatch your possessions, but they will never be able to snatch your hope. Because your refuge and your hope is found in your faith in Jesus and no one has access to that but you. It says in scripture that no one can snatch us out of his hands. And so death is not something that I fear as a Christian. It's something that I realize has been conquered as a Christian. Something that I hope in as a refuge for my future. And something that I praise God in for a time to come. God, thank you for where you are taking me. And we pray this prayer together. Can you stand with me?